0: Welcome to episode eight of thirty fifth of wavelength chicago baseball podcast as always i'm your host brian Pulaski. joining me are my co-hosts Lenny barnett and daniel urban boys how are we doing today
1: doing great uh you know memorial day weekend is coming up so everyone knows like memorial day is like the official like kind of kickoff of summer so it's always good to know that and we're getting some warm weather uh the world's opening up and just excited for what's happening
0: goddamn right glany what are we what are we working with today this week I should say
2: I mean, it was beautiful yesterday at 90 degrees and today I had to wear a hoodie and I was cold at work and it was looking like it's going to be a little bit colder through Memorial Day. Hopefully by Monday it warms up a little bit more, but I'm golfing again Saturday. Thank you, Carly. You're the best. So uh, I uh, really appreciate it. We always love Mama Bear. Oh, yeah. she's She's the best. True MVP.
0: Boy, do we have an episode for you guys today. We are going to talk a little bit about the White Sox and the Cubs, what they're doing this past week since the last time we talked to you, and then we are going to follow it up with one of our biggest interviews we've ever done with athlete interviewer, podcaster, and Forbes contributor, Mr. Andy Fry. Uh, this has been a big week for us, boys, so let's kick it off here. Let's talk a little bit about the Cubs. The Cubs, who are now tied for first place in the NL Central, went 5-1 and one this past week, on a great stretch here, taking two out of three against the Cardinals, while sweeping the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, boys. It's it's been kind of a roller coaster thus far with the Cubs and how we felt mm-hmm. about them as far as an organization goes and what they've been able to put on the field. But it's days like today when you see a play like what Javi Baez was able to <laughs> kind of uh, somehow work out. You know, you 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 kind of fall in love with that kind of that kind of team again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how if. He got like the lucky horseshoe up his ass, or whatever. Hobby does to just make all these magical plays happen. But it just—I feel like if this is anyone else, you're just like this is an anomaly. But it happens so many times with Hobby that you're just like, well, it's just Hobby being Hobby, you know. And I don't know about you guys, but I, you know, we all played ball as a kid and maybe, and into high school and and whatnot. But if you're the first baseman in that situation, okay, you get the ball. All you have to do is stand there and wait for Hobby to run into you because. He's got to go to first. It doesn't matter about Contreras rounding the bases and scoring at home. That doesn't matter. But if you guys are in that situation and your coach sees you throw the ball to home and also that guy standing on second, how many poles are you running that day after practice or after the game? Because I mean, it's just such a boneheaded play, but it's hobby being hobby. And I think just when the Cubs are on a good win streak, this stuff just kind of happens. You know, when when you're it's like a hitter; they're hitting good. Boom. It just like every bloop single is a hit. Everything's that Javi just this shit happens. And maybe because it's the lowly pirates, but I don't know. I just love seeing it. And the fact that we get a sweep is just a, another benefit. Glennie, I don't know about you, but I do We even tell Javi to change anything at this point.
2: I don't know what he's doing, but he has that (laughs) magic wand working. They call him El Mago for a reason, and I don't know what, how, how that even happens. It's going to be a first and only, I think, in history. But I, I, if that guy's not cut tomorrow, I don't know what the fuck Pirates are doing. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> pathetic. All, all the guy had to do was go and just touch the bag, or just like you said, Dad, wait for him to come to him, because it doesn't matter because Contreras isn't scoring. So I, I don't know how he gets two, two bags off of that in the RBI. But I love seeing it, and I love seeing the Cubs winning, even though it's against the Pirates, which we should be sweeping, taking two out of three. Mm-hmm. But to taking two out of three from the Cardinals is all huge right now, and being t- tied for first place, I, I, I wouldn't think was happening a month ago
0: it's huge Um, right i mean (laughs) you're talking you're talking about right now you take out your first place opponent right now in the nl central and the cardinals you you go there and you take two out of three then today you you see this play that looks like it was drawn up by like a a child there's no way that in your doesn't happen in
1: t-ball that
2: doesn't even happen in (laughs) t-ball
0: it's like the
2: annexation of puerto rico in baseball form
0: how the fuck <laughs> does this guy have the the common sense to go to the bag and just touch first base? I mean, worst case scenario, stand there and wait for him to come back to you because he can't go anywhere. And that's the thing that it just, it mind boggled me. You know, I, I was actually, I was in the, I was in the can when I had heard my father scream out to me going, Hey, did you see that by play? I'm like, number one, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that something was going on at the point. At that point in time, I didn't even think the Cubs were playing. And then he's like, yeah, you got to go see this bias play. It's unbelievable. I went and I checked Twitter, and I'm telling you, this play was about everywhere you could find it. It was trending. And you just look at this guy, throw the ball home. It's an error. At the, it's, first off, it's a shitty throw to the catcher. It's a throw that never should have been made. But then Javier Baez gets fucking second base because no one's covering first base. And then there's an error – Oh it was just unbelievable. I I, I don't know, boys. I I'd never seen anything like this in my life. Do the
1: carnival music.
0: The... <laughs>
1: But I was going to say, I don't know about you guys, but my favorite part
2: was Javi celebrating, calling Contreras safe at home, and then proceeding to run to first base. I think that just him sitting there, need the still shot of that because I need to put on a canvas. That's just comedy right there.
1: That was more oh, disrespectful yeah, there's, than there's, any bat flip that there has ever been in Major League Baseball it was that movement <laughs> right there. To do that and then run to first base and then an error and then to get to second. Was but the there's,
0: very, there's very play. few plays where you could say that it perfectly – uh, it's a perfect example of a personality it's very very strange to say that but mm-hmm. you know you can see a long ball hit by Aaron Judge where it reaches like the second deck and that's like his thing right and then you see like Clayton Kershaw throw one of those nasty breaking balls on 0-2 with two outs that's Clayton Kershaw's play that's Clayton Kershaw's persona in a play when you see a play like this in which Everybody just loses their goddamn minds. And the guy ends up at second base on a routine ground ball to the third baseman. This is a Javier Baez play. This is the El Mago play. And I think that's something that fans are going to identify with for the next years to come. This is definitely something Hopefully. that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, but but on top of these great plays and what these guys are able to do right now, going, like I said, five and one over the last time we talked, now they're tied for first place with this Cardinals team. And you guys going to be psyched about that right now.
1: Oh yeah, it's great to see, it. especially when we took two out of three from them at their place. Um, it's just something that's just like oh, they're finally they're hitting their stride, they're playing well. Uh, it's just good to see them find, because I think, well, the other thing is that we're getting to the time of year where if they're not hitting their stride, it's just like, okay well, KB's gone, Javi's gone, Rizzo's gone for trading all these guys away because they're not hitting their stride. So it's also, we're also training the right direction at the right time where we're like, oh, maybe we will be buyers at the deadline. But it is just so good to see them finally play to their potential and I think the biggest thing that's been helpful is that their bullpen is just been nails They're There's every, everyone is just stepping up and they're just not getting anyone on base. They're just striking everyone out They're getting soft contact. And it's just, I feel like maybe that helped our starting pitching because there was a bit where the starting pitching kind of struggled, you know, but now it's kind of good to see that the starting pitching is still, they they just need a quality start, you know, that's all that they need out of it. And Glennie, I don't know if you've seen the same, but just, it's just like just get us through six just get through five quality innings and all of a sudden we'll just hand it to this bullpen which is something the cubs haven't really had in years past
2: no not anything that you could you know think of recently you know try to put things together you know people don't end up playing don't pan out you know uh and but now it's you, you got these starters that not, not quality names anymore, but get it done for five, six innings and hand it off to this bullpen who has been dominant, not let up a run in two weeks. I mean, that's just unbelievable. You got three guys out of 17 that are sub one ERAs right now. And that's just throughout all of baseball, which I think is fantastic. And I mean, when your closers uh, sitting there getting wins and closing out games, getting three saves this week and Craig Kimbrel. I mean, it, you can't ask for anything more. And it's just been complete dominance. Tommy Nance coming out of nowhere, just shutting guys down, striking uh, out players, coming in in key moments, you still not let up a run. And it's just a breath of fresh air to actually, you know, see a bullpen that we have been lacking in years past and see be so mm-hmm. dominant and helping out this the lack of starting pitching that we have. You know, it's just great to see. It. And hopefully it continues uh, to keep going on in the future.
1: Yeah, because the Cubs have like, the Cubs were always that weird team where, like, you look at like the bullpen ERAs at the end of the year and they were always like top five, but you never felt like they were like a decent bullpen. It was almost like they were like the, you know, like kind of like the, how they say in like fantasy football, like the garbage time accumulators, where it's just like, well, when they're up big or they're down big, we throw these guys in the bullpen. And also and at the end of the year, the Cubs are like, oh, they're the fifth best bullpen in the NL. And you're like, no, they're not. But this year, they're just, it's just every guy is stepping up. And the biggest thing I think is that, Craig Kimball is back to being Craig Kimbrell. I think I saw him hitting 99 on the gun the other day. That's the anchor,
0: man. That's the anchor. That's the guy guy you need to step up to have that identity. That bullpen doesn't go anywhere without that closer. And that that is the guy that you guys went out and made a decision on and said, this is the guy that's going to be the future. This is the guy who who, who we know is a, a current Hall of Famer, a guy at least on the path. And Mm -hmm. you guys knew that you could get some production out of him as long as uh, things started rolling his way. Again, he had his first real spring training in 2021. You know, it's been two years, including 2019, in which he was kind of picked up at a weird time, obviously, with –
1: it wasn't way. good then. And then, all like, the first like, couple, first week or two in 2020, he was just god-awful. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was, like, a video of him making a mechanical change where I guess he was showing the ball early in his mechanics, and all of a sudden, like, every hitter was picking up when he was throwing his curveball. And all of a sudden, he fixed that. And since about that, like, second or third week of the 2020 season, he's been nails. And this year, I think he got to refine it more. And, I mean – I think his ERA is like a point like a point four, point five, point six. It's somewhere in there. It's just ridiculous. But like you said, when you got that lockdown guy at the end, you know, just get us through eight, just get us through that, and we can get the or get us through seven and two thirds, we can get a four out save for Kimbrel. And just that's the difference where, the, you know, it's not like, well, we have to figure out who's closing, who's doing this, who's doing that. Just like just get us to the ninth and we got this game.
2: Yeah, Kimbrough just absolutely solid, and it's fantastic to see when you get a great starting pitching like you did the last week. You know, that's always a plus side, and to see Trevor Williams kind of turn it around, it's a you know nice little thing to see, especially since it didn't look like he might make it through with the last couple uh, few starts before that. So, uh, but you know, Brian, you know, thank you give a nice little thank you to the Sox for uh, taking two out of three from the Cardinals for us. So uh, that's a, that's also a big, big plus and what reason why uh, we're tied for first place, which is fucking God, God, that's such a great feeling, honestly.
0: Yeah. Right. In, in the White Sox, uh, they they had a nice series against the cards and I I definitely want to talk a little bit about that, but uh, White Sox still sitting in first place with a 28 and 20 going for their 29th win tonight against the uh, Orioles. They went two and four this last week. So, uh, as ironic as it sounds, two and four this last week, I didn't think was a bad week from these White Sox with the kind of competition they got to see out in New York. Uh, but this week, uh, the team got swept by a hot Yankees team, uh, while, as we just said, you know, took two or th- two out of three against the Cardinals, which, uh,
1: again, we tip our cap to you for that. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Let's well, let's let's talk about these White Sox right now. So you go out to New York for the first time uh, this year, and you get swept by a pretty damn good Yankee team a team that uh, is definitely a, a hot pick for the AL uh, representative in the World Series. Um, but it, it, it seemed like a, a really positive series, even though we got swept. I know people are like, what is he fucking talking about? They lost three games. You got spanked on, and won on three of them. But I guess it's the way that this team got to experience a little bit of um, adversity early on. So yeah, they, they got to deal with this adversity and it it seemed like it was really positive. And the reason why I want to say it was positive, uh, was for, for a few reasons. One, uh, you got to the best closer, which I think, you know, the best closer in professional baseball resides in the Bronx right now. I had role as Chapman, but, uh, you, you got to him twice. So the first game you go up against him, uh, you really had some nice uh, things happen, a misplayed bunt on Aroldis' part with a runner on first and second and nobody out. It seemed like we were kind of, you know, we were churning there. We were kind of making some, making some headroom, uh, you know, gaining some steam, if if you will, uh, amongst all my other uh, great analogies. But um, we had real great performances and then, you know, Roldus Chapman, gets kind of bailed out by a triple play, uh, which, you know, that's something obviously you don't see every day. And the other positives I wanted to take away were, was the growth that we're seeing out of Andrew Vaughn. And right now uh, Andrew Vaughn is emerging as uh, a, a young stud out in our outfield, a guy, again, who may not have the most experience in the outfield, but has played a pretty serviceable left field. Uh, he's homered twice in his last seven games, once off of a role to Chapman to tie the game out in the ninth against the Yankees and uh, the second one to take the lead in game two of the Cardinals series. Uh, He's had five hits, three RBIs and is slugging 571 in his last seven games in his last 30. He has 14 strikeouts and in his last seven, just now he has three strikeouts, which is a great uh, regression as far as K's go. Um, so, Dan, what are your thoughts right now with uh, what Andrew Vaughn's doing? I mean, that's been the positive this week, I feel like, as far as the White Sox go, kind of seeing him grow as a professional and as a guy that's getting come from more Major League Baseball.
1: I mean, he's, I mean, if the White Sox just are just going to do kind of the next man up mentality as it's kind of been all year with all the injuries and the fact that, you know, Andrew Vaughn had all the hype behind him. You know, it was kind of one of those ordeals. And it's great to finally see – you know, he barely had any minor league career whatsoever. So maybe he's finally just getting his timing in and bidding to talk to all these hitters and talk to, you know, La Russa, who's probably given a lot of knowledge. Maybe that's finally, it's all just starting to click for him. Cause I think there is still like, for some reason we always just think guys are just coming up and they're just automatically the Mike Trouts, Bryce Harper, Cody Bellinger's, Chris Bryant's where there's like, Oh, they're just the best player in the league within a year or two. And you know, I, Vaughn definitely has that potential to be one of the best bats but you know it was still going to take him some time Consider I mean how many minor league bats did he have leading up to this it couldn't have been more than maybe a couple hundred
0: very, few, very few hadn't gone higher than if uh, even that well, I think it was high A ball I think it was the highest yeah.
1: and in uh, high A, a you're ball. seeing maybe just some guys that have one off-speed pitch and are chucking a fastball, you know. Once you get to double A, it's like, oh, there's a changeup. Once you get to triple A, it's like, well, now I have to try and guess four or five pitches. And when he gets to the big leagues, it's four or five pitches or just wipe out stuff. So right. maybe it's just with time. And, I mean, just with the White Sox, it's just like next man up, who the fuck knows where this team can go. If you get Vaughn playing at a, at the level he can perform, I mean, sky's the limit with this team.
0: Absolutely. Glennie, I mean, it's got to give you a little bit of vibes uh, as far as uh, learning on the fly here Javier Baez we were, we were just talking about him I, I know it's a it's a hard press to to, to bring up Javier Baez and Andrew Vaughn in the same sentence and talk about uh, their similarities because they're very different players but as far as a guy who's kind of learning it on the fly had has had a little bit more minor league experience but I feel like the similarities are there where I think with more time this kid's going to get better and where Javier Baez when he originally came up, made some noise, but took some time to really become the guy we know as kind of a perennial all-star shortstop, right?
2: Oh, right. I mean, Javi came kind of came up and was striking out a ton, but just sitting there, great glove. Other than Javi kind of getting a little crazy with his arm and, you know, throwing balls around, his glove is fantastic and, you know, making plays left and right. And Andrew Vaughn, you know, coming up and now sitting there, you know, maybe not so fancy with his glove. But, you know, adapting to the fact of only going from first base and now sitting there getting in the outfield and, you know, to get professional at bats and, you know, getting accumulated to the style of play in the MLB and the disgusting, you know, breaking shit and the high velocity fastballs and, you know, just kind of get his feet wet, kind of got thrown into the fire a little bit, you know, just kind of get his, you know, feet settled in. And I think, you know, now he's kinda, you know, getting or starting to get accumulated now and we're going to see, you know, what Andrew Vaughn could actually become and how he is going to help this uh, Sox team, you know, push forward and look towards a World Series.
0: When, when Andrew Vaughn was was drafted, we, we knew we were getting a guy who was more mature than a, a typical uh, 22, 23-year-old coming out of the draft, uh, spending the years in college that he did. Uh, we, we knew that this was an advanced bat, a guy that had professional at-bats, that seemed major league ready as a draftee. Uh, and you hear that a lot about a lot of guys, but when you're getting that kind of praise from multiple people that have been there before, I'm talking about major league type talent. Uh, I remember uh, for for whatever reason, it's resonated with me, but the night they drafted Andrew Vaughn, I remember Eric Burns, who obviously is a little bit of a psycho. He He's been a, a guy that's been around major league baseball for a long time. I, and obviously had a, a a pretty nice career in major league baseball when he had said, that Andrew Vaughn was not only the best bat in the draft, but also one of the best picks he thought was available in the draft. I knew that the potential was there. So when you see Andrew Vaughn starting to put it all together as a soft-spoken young man on a team filled with a lot of loud players, it's kind of refreshing to see a guy who's kind of a little bit old-fashioned as far as how he goes about his business. I, You know, he doesn't talk much. He just kind of puts his head down and works hard. It's nice to see that kind of blue-collar, Kid get his you know get his swings off and be able to kind of uh, have the success have the success that he's had so far. So that's uh, been the the week thus far as far as White Sox successes. And obviously we've got a little bit of a story. We really don't know what's going on right now. But Michael Kopak was moved to the bereavement list. Uh, which is it's a little bit of a story in its own. He he came out uh, after getting the final out against the Cardinals Wednesday. Uh, kind of hobbled off, kind of fell funny. They were going to give him an MRI. It was talking about hamstring tightness. Uh, we hope for the best, of course, with that. But after he awkwardly fell to the ground, uh, the team felt optimistic uh, as far as the MRI results went. And uh, we won't know anything obviously till tomorrow. But when he's moved to the bereavement list, we got to hope that, uh, especially with his with his history as far as mental. Uh, illness and, and, and other issues that have been going on in his life uh, previous to the 2021 season. You got to hope that uh, both him and his family are okay. Uh, the bereavement list, if if you guys aren't familiar, is usually um, kind of put together so players have the comfort of missing uh, a few games for uh, a, a pretty serious illness or a death in the family, things like that, uh, un, unexpected kind of thing. So uh, I, I'm hoping the best for a guy that's been lights out of that pen and it obviously has been a Swiss Army knife in the starting rotation. Fights uh, but- out is such an
1: understatement, I feel like here.
0: <laughs> oh, <No>, for <laughs> sure. Mean,
1: he, he's just been just, fuck you, here it is the entire season, and it's so good to see. And that's, you know, you just hope that just, hey, if he needs just a couple days maybe just to get himself right, I think he, he's earned that right just because of what he's done this year. We just know the past with him. So, I, you just hope it's a minor thing. Maybe, maybe misses a couple of days, gives his arm maybe a couple of days rest. And then it uh, comes back and just goes back to wiping out everyone.
0: I'm, I'm hoping, uh, I think most of White Sox nation is just optimistic about the results of that MRI. And we're hoping that uh, if it is a personal issue that Michael resolves it and we all support him. And it's, uh, that's something that uh, we'll have to hear more about. I'm sure this coming uh, days here. Um, But we have to transition into into this interview, boys. Um, This was easily the most interesting interview that I have ever conducted. I'm sure it's probably something that you guys have uh, kind of uh, looked at now is is something that's pretty cool. And we love getting to know Andy and talking about all his work, his upcoming book, and just the vast knowledge and interest in the Cubs and just the sporting world in general that Andy had to offer. Um, But uh, here it is. Why don't you guys take a listen? So today on the podcast, we have a special guest, a contributor for Forbes, interviewing some of the most popular athlete celebrities from across the world. He's covered sports actions for entities such as Rolling Stone and ESPN.com. While currently working on his highly anticipated book, Smashing Adversity, 35th to Waveland would like to welcome Andy Fry to the podcast. How are you guys doing? As good as it gets. As good as I, don't, I don't
3: see any bruises on your face, so uh, I'm I'm wondering if uh, you've been down to the south side recently because, uh,
2: you know, <laughs> it's also rough down there these days,
3: I think.
1: Major making, is noise healing. The,
2: yeah, making noise with the bats and in the stands and the bleachers is great.
0: <laughs> Between the cup snakes and in the, the fights, uh, you can definitely tell the fans are back in the ballpark. So, uh, oh, yeah, definitely been a lot of uh, – A lot of fun to see people back. At least it it brings a little bit of uh, normalization back into our lives, which is Mm -hmm. important. Um, But it is an absolute pleasure to get to know you here and finally have you on the show and and talk a little bit about Chicago baseball and, of course, about yourself and that book you've been working on. Um, So for the people out there, Andy, who aren't familiar with your work, uh, would you be able to talk a little about yourself and what you do exactly?
3: Yeah, and there's a lot of people uh, who are not familiar with my work. I mean, just because I get to write about sports and get to interview cool people doesn't mean, uh, you know, like like uh, I think uh, my mom and dad back home probably think I'm a, some sort of a Chicago sports celebrity, which I am not. You know, I'm just someone who gets to do some, some cool stuff and interview some cool people. But, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't go to journalism school. I've always been one of those people who's kind of a hobbyist writer. And I just i have always had a fascination with – Sort of the, you know, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe the social end of sports and the sort of the storytelling that goes along side of sports. Like we all, ha- we all have our teams. We all watch our games, and we all get hung up about certain things or certain players. But I've always been interested in just the little quirks with sports. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever uh, listened to this. Maybe a little before your time. There's a guy who used to be on um, National Public Radio called uh, Frank Ford, and he, I think he was on twice a week. and He just kind of talked about. You know, the quirky of sports. He's actually kind of a soccer hater, which I love soccer. I love the English Premier League. So I have one sticky point with him, but he would always grab these, uh, these interesting uh, observations about sports at a high level. And then, you know, talk about, you know, what, but he might talk about something like the uh, Sosa McGuire home run race, you know, back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, the importance of relief pitchers or, you know, competitive fishing, or who knows what, whatever grabbed his mind at that point. So I've always been interested in sports from that angle. And you know, I'm not the kind of person who writes, you know, season predictions or rankings or any of that stuff that a lot of people do. I really uh, have been interested in just sort of storytelling. So I've been lucky in that. Uh, some years ago when I got on social media and I started blogging, I had a couple of people, you know, who are diehard sports fans. But usually, you know, they're, I grew up in Philly, but I've lived in Chicago for half my life and you know, I'm a Cubs fan. And obviously all my friends from back home are still Phillies fans and they're very opinionated and they talk a lot of trash. And you know, I, I That's Philly. Know, I don't know <laughs> if I want to see how they behave at the games because you know, I don't know, if the Sox meet up with the Phillies in the World Series, there could be some serious brawls, as you would know. But the point is, like I, for despite our arguments about sports or them calling me crazy for being, you know, a Cubs fan, even though I was, Grew up in Philadelphia. I got a lot of encouragement. Of people saying like, "Well, you know, what you're writing is interesting. You have to see if you can do this, you know, full time or just keep with it. Do you know?" And uh, you know, I used to work in the business world. I was in sales for about a better part of ten years. And, and when you are captive to hitting monthly numbers, and sometimes you know you get paid or not based on how well the month goes, you know, you need something else to keep you sane. So I started sports blogging, and I think probably this this was probably back in late 2009 I was just ranting about you know whatever was kind of grabbing my mind and kept with it kept doing it you know a couple times a couple times a month and then sometimes a couple times a week and uh I think somewhere along the line I just decided to set some goals and thought well you know I'd like to see if I could get something published in the next five years I think that was my goal for like New Year's New Year's Eve you know 2000 or 2009 going into 2010 and uh yeah, you know, I blew through that in about 18 months and got my first piece on ESPN.com about a quirky sport that you've never heard of in July of uh, 2011. And then just kind of like use my soft skills and networking skills and relationship building skills to continue to see what I could put out there and just, you know, I can go into the, the details of it. But, you know, hop from that one piece that I did about a sport called fistball, which is sort of like volleyball a little bit to covering Southside Catholic League High School football, you know, just for a stint in the fall of 2011. Just kind of like, you know, I I liken it to the video game Frogger, where you're just kind of hopping from like uh, toadstool to toadstool, opportunity to opportunity, and just kept uncovering things and saying yes to opportunities. And, you know, now uh, I write for Forbes. And Forbes, uh, if you're a contributor, it kind of works like a blog in terms of that I don't have to pitch stories, but I write about five stories a month, and they have to be about sports. I I can't talk about CBD or crypto or the stock market because that's not my corner. But um, yeah, it's it's my specialty, I guess, is interviewing athletes, and you know I try to I try to relate to them and see how relatable they are, and not just you know ask gotcha questions and ask mm-hmm. about something that you know you know is off limits. I think sometimes we forget that our favorite athletes at least 99.9% of them are, are human too and that there's something relatable that you can you know talk with them about um, I'll give you one quick example before I turn it back to you like I've interviewed a lot of Eagles players so I grew up you know Philadelphia Eagles fan I've interviewed Brian Westbrook and uh, Dawkins and Chris Long before he retired and you know I always tell him like I grew up in Philly and you know, I hate the Dallas Cowboys. It's kind of in my blood, and you know, but I'm gonna be like, yeah. Well, if you want to talk about that some more, you know, let's let's talk that up. Like, I hate the Cowboys too. Um, Eddie George, you know, played for the Cowboys. I think his last season. He grew up in Abington, PA, which is like a stone's throw from where I uh, grew up. Played for Tennessee. You know, he, he told me the last time I talked to him, I think about six months ago, that you know, I, I tried that Cowboys uniform on, and I just felt like it wasn't right. And you know, I'm still an Eagles fan, and. You know, you get those kind of answers when you just relate to them as a sports fan. I think I'm a sports fan first. So that's how I proceed with, you know, um,
0: just the topic of sports and writing about things I think are fascinating. It sounds like you have a lot of interest, though, in a lot of different aspects, a lot of different places in life. And, you know, being a sports person and writing the sports articles that you do, I'm sure that you try to kind of connect those real life experiences or those other things that you're interested in when writing every day. Um, I I do want to really ask you about the baseball aspect. Growing up in Philly, how does one become a Cub fan out in such a passionate sports town in Philadelphia?
3: Well, you know, I I, I think I've maybe had a sort of, uh, okay, so I was, I grew up as, as a Phillies fan. I went to I probably started to kind of not pay as close attention to baseball. There's two parts of it, probably in the late 80s, and then the Phillies are really good um, and went to the World Series in 93. It was kind of like one of those, those episodes where uh, I guess I sort of had my heart broken. So they're playing the Toronto Blue Jays. If I have my have my story straight, it's a 93 World Series. Um, they're in game six. So I think they're down by – I can't remember, but they're down by a game or two games. And they're looking like they're going to win the game. So this is, like, first thing, I'm, I'm kind of uh, – I'm in college. I'm probably a junior. And I was supposed to meet this girl uptown in Oxford, Ohio. I went to college at Miami University, and I, I got blown off by her. Um, so I, I ended up going uptown with some friends. I'm into the game. Uh, Joe Carter, who hasn't hit at all, I think, in the whole postseason. I think it was the whole postseason he hadn't had a hit. A <laughs> blast of, a grand slam to win the whole thing. Like, we're, we're about to win. And then like, dude, like what, what the hell just happened? And, uh, you know, like the couple of Canadians who went to college, at, you know, in Ohio where I went to college are applauding and doing backflips and stuff. And, and, oh, by the way, my friends ditched me. So it was like the trifecta of worst nights. And I think I just probably, you know, kind of tapped out of following baseball for a while. I, it, it sounds like it's maybe uh how could I do that or that's sort of a wussy story or, you know, it's it's kind of one of those turning points where like, I'm just, you know, like when you're, when you're in a bad relationship or a relationship that goes bad and you're just like, you know, I'm just not going to date for a while. That's kind of how it was for me and the Phillies of baseball. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense.
0: No, it's not. So no, uh,
3: kind of didn't follow sports for a, a while. Like it didn't follow the NFL. I mean, maybe I followed the Flyers from a distance as a hockey fan. But I mean, the, you know, in the early 90s when you didn't have 500 channels and you didn't have – internets and phones you could look up a score like it was it was a lot more difficult back then so uh, kind of you know ended up in Chicago uh, after I graduated college in 94 it was one of the places like if you were in college in the early 90s and you got straight A's unless you were really lucky you like I knew people who went to Cornell and Yale who didn't have jobs and were working for the park district um, but I knew people getting jobs in Chicago and I knew I wanted to live in a big city so I just kind of moved out here and stayed at the wire for a couple nights and eventually settled in and I think maybe two, three years later when I started to kind of care about sports again, uh, after I knew I probably wasn't going to be in a band or I wasn't going to, you know, uh, be a music journalist or, you know, strangely I thought I wanted to write for Rolling Stone. I just didn't write about music, but I uh, started to, you know, follow sports again. And I don't know, I think somewhere between living uh, in Lakeview and, you know, getting exasperated by the amount of traffic the Cubs would cause made me thinking, what what the hell's going on I'm up there Wrigley? I need to kind of check this out and, it wasn't for me about going to, you know, the stereotypes about Cubs fans, like going to Wrigley just to get drunk um, and, you know, hang out with pretty girls. Like I I kind of started to get back into baseball again, I think just out of a need personally and, you know, kind of formed a relationship with the Cubs after the, the bad breakup with the Phillies a couple of years earlier. And I mean, I follow, I, I first and foremost, I follow and, and cheer for the other Philly teams I'm a I'm you know I'm a lifelong Villanova basketball fan, but the Cubs is kind of like the one exception where that I stick to that and you know and, and I've lived here for more than half my life now, so it's a I think a worthwhile metamorphosis if 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 you buy any of that.
0: Absolutely. So it's safe to say that Mitch Williams broke you.
3: Could be yeah yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, he's <laughs> probably one of a couple people, but um, you know like I that summer I worked I had two archetypically. Crappy college jobs. I think I worked at a deli with like the biggest a hole, the deli owner, an <laughs> East Coast deli owner. You know, like on me all day. And then I would go like my easier job was washing pots and pans at a German restaurant. Um, and we would listen to the Phillies games all summer. I mean, you know, pretty much I was with you know older working class people who like their career was working in the kitchen. The only thing we had in common was you know turning up the Phillies game and listening to it. You know, play by play and uh yeah it's just I, I found that again living in chicago as a you know kind of a growing cubs fan and you know now you know, it's it's kind of the well I, I don't have anything against the phillies but it's like you know i kind of switched allegiances i guess but i feel like i've got a, a i've got
2: a good ledger behind it so
1: mm-hmm.
2: nice so coming up up to, uh over to the north side uh, did you have a favorite player once you, you know, started getting back into the love of baseball and, you know, falling in love with the Cubs?
3: You know, I kind of it, – it's weird because uh, a lot of – usually the players that – I'm kind of like an uh, like the underdog and sort of the, the players that are least noticed. So, to give you an example, least I'm not sure maybe who – all my friends love Mark Grace. And I was like, yeah, Mark Grace is okay. You know, it's just like, let's stop gushing, dudes. Um, I mean, I think I like Kerry Wood, especially his his – first season he's just because was a machine and he had a personality i'm not really a big fan of athletes and coaches especially the strong silent types like the mike shanahan's of the world just i want to go to sleep or Dick on or you know going to golf nothing against brooks Kepka, but he's not particularly super exciting to me so um you know not that everybody has to be dennis rodman but so i was going to say like the last couple years my favorite cubs player uh first dexter fowler you know um they didn't renew him and I like—I don't know—I why have a fetish for relievers and closers. You know, they had Wade Davis for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Get rid of him. And you know, I like Ian Happ. I've uh, talked to him once. He's a super chill dude. You know, he's not—he's not the best player on the roster, but he's pretty good sometimes. I'm sure that you know they'll get rid of him soon. And you no, know, and I like Craig Kimbrel. Now that he's good, if the Cubs aren't <laughs> winning, you know, if they're not in first place, and then deciding that they want to actually try to go to the World Series, they're gonna. As long as uh, Kimbrel doesn't, you know, have a swoon, he's going to get dealt with with uh, Bryant. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know. I don't have like an all-time favorite Cubs player, uh, favorite player, the way that some Chicagoans and Cubs fans do. Like, I've got friends who, you know, they wear twenty-three on their softball team. You know, in their, you know, our, our forty-plus, fifty-plus league because they're a big fan of. Uh, um, Sandberg and you know not Jordan the 20s for Brian Sandberg. I'm not quite that way with any of the Cubs. I kind of uh, have a couple of favorites, and you want to see the guys you don't really get the top billing sort of get talked about, and have good, good games, and you know kind of uh, get their
2: due every once in a while. Yeah, I'm I'm a, personally a huge Kerry Wood fan. Uh, he's a reason why I started wearing 34 as my number, and that's been my oh. number for years and years now. So huge okay. Kerry Wood fan, but Ian Happ watch out for him. Hopefully, you know, he stays a cub for longer, and we are buyers at the, the deadline here, because I think we can make a nice little push. I don't know what you think, but... Yeah,
3: well, you and I aren't in charge, so I guess that's the, the flip side. And Oh, yeah.
2: If only the, the fans could run the, the team, that would be fantastic, because I think we, we might be able to do a little bit better of a job, especially this past off season. Yeah, could be. <laughs> uh, but but uh, being able to cover the 2016 World Series, you know, uh, I'm sure was... I, um, amazing you know i couldn't even uh imagine being able to cover it did you have any kind of like press pass or uh you know where were you for uh game seven when we finally you no, know, sealed me, the I, deal and ended a, a 108 yeah. year curse
3: just to kind of uh clear up like i actually i didn't i i went i actually attended and covered the 2017 world series out in la as far as the 2016 world series like i had just signed on with rolling stone at the time and luckily at the time um the uh, the, the sports editor, they had just brought a guy named Jason Diamond. He's not there anymore. He's a, a Cubs fan from Chicago. So I emailed him on the day that, you know, just like I got him and started talking about the right things. And, you know, we, we bounced around a couple ideas and sort of like he wrote the high level, like Cubs, the Cubs are America's team type of pieces. And I I, I would write about relief pitching or, you know, what's, uh, what's Chapman got, you know, under his sleeve for tonight or... Uh, I think I did write a piece that was kind of a feel good piece like sort of the general rollingstone.com preview of the world series, both in 16 and 17, but I didn't get in the ballpark. I kind of wasn't important enough to do that until 2017 um, and got to go out to Dodger stadium for, for the first leg of the world series. And, and that was cool. So, you know, I was watching it in my uh, living room, just like you guys were and actually at the time. So here's a little side story. I used to cover, yeah, you know, I used to cover extreme sports, and one of them was roller derby. You know, it's kind of like the beat writer for roller derby in in the United States and the world for ESPN for a while. Um, right around the time of the 16 World Series, at the end of it, the uh, international roller derby championships were in Portland, and had been, like my my flight booked, my Airbnb booked. Um, I think I did it long before, and I was just kind of wasn't paying attention anyway. So we get like through Game Six, and I'm like, I'm not going to be in flight in the middle of the country while game seven's going on I actually like contacted my airbnb host you know, said you know keep the money but i'm not going to be there for another day change my flight paid like an extra 75 bucks on southwest or whatever to to leave the next day and then you know we won the world series i think on a wednesday and the next morning at you know 7 30 a.m on the way to, to midway to fly out to portland to cover you know my live sporting event for that week which was the international roller derby championships but you know i think Um, Yeah, I, I just I think just watching it and experiencing it was amazing. And then like um, when I'm out in Portland covering the Derby Championships, like my wife let my kid skip school to go to the the championship parade. I think all but one of his friends just like informed the school like they're not coming today they're going to go on the parade because it's a once in a century thing. So that was kind of cool. and I'm glad he got to experience it, but I'm like, dude, like, how come I didn't, like, how come I'm out of town when that happens? So, <laughs> you know, you take your opportunities to enjoy it where you can. And I watched every game and I'm thankful for that. And, you know, I missed the parade, but the photos were amazing. As, as you saw, it's the, like the fifth largest gathering of humans mm-hmm. in all of recorded history. That's not bad to kind of know that happened in your hometown for your, your favorite team. So.
2: Oh yeah. Parade, game seven, that last out, something that will be forever, you know, burned into the back of my memory for sure. Um, I also, uh, what's the uh, oddest thing that you've, uh, you know, been, that's happened to you during, you know, one of your interviews or you have like some kind of weird, quirky answer from someone of, you know, one of the athletes that you've, you know, been uh, covering or uh, interviewed?
3: I'm trying to think. Well, I, so I got to interview uh, U.S. soccer legend Brandy Chastain about, it was about about a week and a half ago, I think, if I remember right. And I'm doing a Zoom with her like I am with you guys. And her dog came in in the middle of it, which I, I have a dog, too. We're dog people. So like her dog just kind of jumped up on her lap in the middle of the interview. And she's like, oh, this is my dog, Ray. And she's my office mate. And, you know, like I'm talking to you know, the person who scored the, the biggest goal, you know, for the U.S. ever, probably. Um and we just, you know, it was kind of a funny moment. We just rolled through it, but it's, it's cool when those little things happen. I can't think of uh maybe the only other thing was uh so I don't know if you guys know, but I I'm a kidney donor. I donated to a friend of mine, uh I used to work with who's a fellow Cubs fan, actually. And um uh, somewhere along the line, I get I got to interview Ed Farmer, the former uh late radio uh guy for uh the White Sox. And um, you know, we're talking about just you know, his career and sort of his symptoms and how he you know found out that he needed a kidney his brother donated his kidney to to ed and uh, then he asked me about mine and i was like yeah i donated uh, you know don't my kidney my friend jeffrey who's a, a cubs fan you know we're both cubs fans and i remember he he said that's okay somebody needs a root for them too which i think was the final line in my art my interview story with ed farmer that that he said that you know this is this is circa this must have been 2012, because before the Cubs won the World Series, we weren't even in the conversation of that, but he just kind of, like, politely stuck it to me that I was a Cubs fan with that line, and
2: that was probably one of them. That's I know. <laughs> I, I see you're having, having a uh, NASCAR hat on. Do you have a favorite driver right now, or you've always been a NASCAR fan?
3: No, I've been covering the last couple of years, and, you know, it's one of those things that, like, uh, I wish to watch it when I was a kid a little bit in the 80s. I, I think I liked I think I like Cale Yarborough because I liked the color of his car, which was mostly orange back then. You know, I didn't really, my dad was not a sports person. Um, so covering it now, like it's, it's that and golf for me are relatively new things the last couple of years. So then when when you kind of don't pay attention to a sport and then you jump into it, your track side, and you're like, wow, this is really cool. Um, so I've I probably interviewed of the top 20 drivers, probably about like 14 of them. I've, I've interviewed all the recent Cup Series winners, except for Keselowski, I've never interviewed. I've never, I've never even offered an interview with Art Truex Jr. I don't think he, he does interviews very much, but so I don't really have a, like a favorite. I don't have anybody that I, I dislike. Like I know a lot of NASCAR people really well, first of all, it seems like everybody dislikes Joey Logano because he's, he's getting I think that's a
2: consensus.
1: Logano.
3: <laughs> I was canoeing last summer. I met uh, some guy who worked at Chicago, whatever the outfit is down the Chicago river where you can canoe for an hour. I think I might've been wearing this hat and he's like, I'm a Joey Logano fan. I'm like, that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. (laughs) Um, But I mean, he's a straightforward, like I I got to interview him in the middle of COVID and he's like, you know, yeah, I get into scuffles and I'm not here to make friends. And he was very straightforward about, you know, I'm I'm here to win the races for like 150 people that support me on the team and the crew and everything. And then you got Kyle Bush, who's like the flip side of it. And also one of his arch enemies that, you know, he's kind of, Kyle Busch has kind of like this Jay Cutler way about it. Like he just doesn't give a crap. And you know, he's actually said like, I'm only here so I don't get fined a couple of times in, in interviews, but he's like a down to earth guy too. Like, it's just, he's got a different set of gears going on. I'm not trying to make a NASCAR pun. I just thought of that. Um, <laughs> love but I, you know, I want to see like some of the, some of the men and actually some of the women who are starting to race. Like it was great that chase Elliott won last year. Cause he hadn't won the cup series. For any of your Sox fans, out Sox and combs fans, listen to this. who don't follow NASCAR. I hope that they jump online and look these people up. Um, but I've also gotten to interview a couple of the up and coming women drivers, like Haley Deegan, who's in um, the Xfinity series, and I guess she's in both the second and third tier. Um, you know, she's like 19 years old and she's really good. And you know, nobody's really talking about her necessarily as like the next Danica because I think that she's going to be like you know, she's going to win races and Uh, You know, Danica was a great IndyCar driver, just NASCAR is a different different format. And I I think she didn't have enough time to, you know, really make a splash. But I think, you know, a couple of years, we may be talking about Haley Deegan in making the playoffs. And I I would love to see that, you know, and got to interview Bubba Wallace and he's backed by Michael Jordan now, you know, bankrolled by Michael Jordan. And he's starting to make a splash. So it's kind of like with the Cubs, like I have a couple of favorite players and it's more, on their personalities and sort of what they bring to the game. Um, you know, my, my kid is 15 who won't sit with me through a Cubs game because he's too busy playing video games. Like his favorite player is Rizzo, and I'm not really sure why. I think it's just because Rizzo is who Rizzo is. And, you know, when we watch Man City, he loves Aguero. And, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, some of us like kind of the lead player that's, this, you know, the the relatable superstar just because that's you know that's kind of where we go and then there's people like me who like oh, i like these six players and <laughs> i don't really have a reason why but you know i like the way that they their swagger or you know, their sportsmanship or whatever just i'm sort of esoteric that way so uh sorry for the long answer to that i guess i would like to see denny hamlin win the cup series because he damn well should have won one of them already but you know we'll Agreed.
2: see I, yeah. I, i'm rooting for denny this year too
3: he's a good dude too actually. oh yeah
2: he seems like it's such a family kind of guy and just wants to win, you know, and I mean, he's having a great year, got unlucky a couple of times. So hopefully, you know, he actually gets his first one of the year and, you know, cause I think he's already glued into the playoffs as it is, but yeah,
3: he didn't win the Daytona 500 this year. I mean, he was one of three times in a row and yeah. I don't
2: know. Michael McDowell who would have thought. Yeah. So
3: yeah.
2: Tell <laughs> me about
3: it. So yeah, NASCAR is yeah. fun. I haven't been to a race and I mean, it's it's really cool like just the roar of mm-hmm. cars going by
1: they party in those parking lots beforehand i definitely because i've been to the Chicago Land speedway a couple times when i was younger and mm-hmm. i mean they're they're a rowdy crowd to say the least and sometimes
3: i've been to the texas 500 and it's very diverse and people maybe it's the texas heat in november even it's like mm-hmm. people are super chill and they're kind of more all business there um yeah, but people are kind of a little wilder like you're saying at kentucky the, the i think it's like the uh quicker state 400 i've been to and i've never been to talladega or you know some of those big big ones but
1: mm-hmm. yeah they
3: kind of like have a they all have a different personality and the, the crowds are you know they're all there for the same reason but some are a little different than others and it's more diverse than you would think i think mm-hmm. that's my i
1: always point. just love the Land speedways that's the chicagoland it's all the way out in joliet so it's always okay. It's just like anyone from Chicago where they say that, oh, I'm from Chicago. Oh, where are you from? Naperville. You know, it's always that. <laughs> it goes on. Yeah, you get but, a lot of people from uh, south of 80 probably coming to, to you Speedway. and Yeah.
3: <laughs> not, it's not Wrigleyville, that's for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. But uh, you were name dropping some names throughout the you know process uh, that we were talking about. And I just kind of want to see not who is maybe the biggest name that you interviewed Yeah. Uh, that can be it, but kind of who was the one that gave you the, maybe opened up the most or gave you the most insight? Like who was that person that, you know, not, not saying it has to be the biggest name, but just someone that's just like this guy just turned into an open book. The second I started talking to him.
3: Well, so you'll, you'll be surprised by this, but probably one of my best conversations, I want to say it was three years ago. It was the same day that I went to the last Pearl Jam show at Wrigley. I got to interview Adam Wainwright, who was on the injury list at the time. Um, you know, I was kind of surprised he's still with the Cardinals. Like I'm surprised he's still pitching technically. But you know, he's um I'm part, I'm kind of your average politically moderate, you know, city dweller, Chicagoan. He's, you know, he doesn't talk about it, he doesn't wear it on his sleeve, but he's like a conservative guy. He's, you know, Christian. He goes to uh and um I'm a vegetarian, he's a meat eater, and we had like the best conversation talking about barbecue places. actually he I'm I recommended a place in Cincinnati and he was like, hold on, let me write this down. We're talking about barbecue and uh, kind of also like, oh, and he's a life, you know, he's a lifelong cards guy and I'm a Cubs fan. And, you know, we had this polite conversation about like the Cards nation and Cubs fans and sort of why they hate each other. And, uh, but he also opened up, I, I, I said, I, you know, I, I kind of felt this weight in what he was talking about with the Cardinals and their fans and sort of the, the atmosphere there, that like, it's the kind of place I think the kind of club where if you are a star pitcher, you're lucky to spend a couple of years there. Like you've got the weight of, you know, a a decent amount of world series and a decent amount of really good players that have been there. So uh, I asked him, I said, so have you met Bob Gibson? And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course I have And I said, so is he, is he, is he is he as intimidating as he seems like, is he scary? And he, you know, Wayne Wright's, I don't know, he's probably like six five. He's a tall, big, you know, imposing guy. And he's not he's not mean or anything, but he's not he's not someone who's gonna joke around with you super easily. And anyway, so he's he said, yeah, you know, like when Bob Gibson's in the room, you sit up straighter and you, you know, you kind of are a little bit more serious, even though you're he's you know, he's a major league pitcher who's been around. He's not just some rookie, you know, coming in the locker room. Uh, That there's this gravitas with some of the the cards players, the American, you know, uh, Bob Gibson passed away not too long ago, but that he would keep coming to the games and keep coming to see the Cardinals players and was really dialed in and there's just this sort of weight and gravitas about him and other players that is important to the players who are in the franchise now. And uh, I'm guessing probably not every club is like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. not to take away from like the Tampa Bay Rays, but they haven't had the long enough history to probably have that. And uh, there is that with the Cubs, but I think there's also, you know, the legacy of like all the times the Cubs didn't perform and sort of, you know, there's that mm-hmm. comical aspect of it. So I think uh, when I was talking to Wainwright, he was just like, you know, he, he, wouldn't, he wasn't there to talk about himself, but when I asked him about what's it like being a cards, you know, lifer and then, but also being in awe of these other players, you know, tell me about that. And he just, you know, he, he kind of described Bob Gibson as you would think, anybody who's, you know, been in the presence of Bob Gibson would be like, you don't screw around when he's in the room and you don't ask stupid questions, but, you know, uh, you can have a lot of great baseball talks with someone like that and learn a few things too.
1: Well, Bob Gibson was so intimidating they lowered the mound because of him. So maybe that's also part of it too.
3: <laughs> yeah. You knock the bats out of people's hands. I mean, people are going to take notice. So I think I, my opinion is that single season Nineteen sixty-eight. Bob Gibson is the best pitcher of all time. Now I know we don't mm-hmm. tend to measure it in in single seasons, but if we did, that you could definitely make a case for like nobody was as, as unstoppable as Gibson. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even born then. I just you know haven't watched the baseball, uh, the Ken Burns series, and all the history that sticks out pretty clearly when you know anything about him. So
1: yeah, and I feel I feel like that is a season that even if you're if you know anything about baseball, everyone just talks about that season. It's just it's like the Barry Bonds in 04 when he had a 609 on base, but then you're like, are these real numbers that this person is putting up? Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, one thing that I kind of am curious about is, you know, you talked about doing Zoom meetings with, you know, people over the pandemic and just how media has changed from when you first got into it to now, especially with the growth of social media, if that's made it easier access to players, harder access, or maybe if that's almost made some players kind of shy away because they're like, oh, if I say one thing and it all of a sudden, I get a quote out there and now all of a sudden it's getting retweets and likes and shared like crazy.
3: Well, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I think the people, so I built a, a, a lot of relationships with publicists and PR people and sports marketing people. So, you know, when they have, for example, I got to interview Scottie Pippen, uh, last summer when he was doing you know he's doing kind of a pr- promotional thing with, with uh small businesses and black owned businesses especially during the pandemic and you know like the email that came back when I said yeah of course I want to interview Scottie Pippen was like okay don't ask him about the last dance or any of his you know personal you know family stuff. Of course <laughs> I'm not gonna do that, but uh you know like I figured he probably doesn't want to be asked about like so what was it like to play with Michael Jordan and you know to be the, the second you know the best second player but like I I knew that he's probably been through the rounds on that. So mm-hmm. I remember like, I'm old enough to remember when he was on the dream team and I don't know what made me think about like, maybe I should ask him about the 92 Olympics. Cause it was, you know, he was good enough to make that team. And I, I, so maybe this is another example of players opening up. I asked him about that. Um, so we did a zoom, but he didn't have video. I think maybe he said like, yeah, I'll do a zoom, but I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to dress up and comb my hair today or, you know, I'm not, uh, so I, I, I did, uh, get to zoom him and not see him in person. And so you know, sometimes they set those limits, but he talked about how much he loved being part of the dream team in the Olympics. And he was fascinated by, you know, how much he thinks the NBA opened up because of this, you know, interest from abroad, you know, and players, uh, fans in Japan and France and different places that, you know, they knew that because they're American sports celebrities that of course, yeah, they're they're going to have some fans abroad, but when they started the tour before the Olympics, like they had no idea how much these people like actually followed basketball, loved the players, knew the stats, uh, and it wasn't just Jordan. I mean, there you had—he was saying that you had fans who were like really big on Chris Mullins or Carmelone or him. And I think Tippin's a little bit more introverted. He's not, you know, he's not going to shoot the, shoot the breeze with the fans and joke around with them the way that you know Chris Mullins might. But, I mean, I think that was, he, what he said was that, it was that was a really important moment for him to be a part of the Olympics, and he, he kind of felt like he played part in opening up basketball of the world or the world of basketball, however you look at it. So, um, you know, it's – I have I think you're usually – when I get an interview offer, it's usually like, yeah, here's the things that they you kind of want to talk about with them. Here's what – you know, if they have to say it, like don't talk about these couple things. Don't ask them about, um, you know, so-and-so or, you know – Uh, and you just have to abide by those those rules and kind of use your head and be Mm -hmm. respectful. You know, it doesn't mean we can't talk about things that are important in sports, but you know, there's one Jim Gray in the world. We don't need two or five or 50 of them shoving a microphone in people's faces, you know, kind of getting nosy. I mean, that's not my gig. And I think for me, it goes better when I just kind of keep a conversation and natural, but uh, maybe to ask the answer, the other side of your question, um, yeah, the Zoom thing is kind of new. Like, typically I did everything on the phone, and now I think because of the pandemic that's happened and the change, you know, there's they're more amenable to actually jump on Zoom. Or right? I have a StreamYard account, so uh, sometimes I'll even say, well, you know, I'll give you my StreamYard link, and if I can work with, because I have a podcast too. Uh, it's just called anti Fry Sportscast on Spotify, and it's basically just like me posting some of my best interviews. But yeah, they're pretty open to it now, and that's pretty cool to be like. Um, last fall, you know, last late, I guess it was after the Lakers won the, the championship. I got to talk to Anthony Davis and I'm on a, like a zoom with him. It was one of the first ones. And, you know, I had kind of like a holy shit moment. Like I'm talking to a superstar and he's being super, you know, super cool and down to earth. And, you know, that was, that was pretty awesome. So, I mean, again, as a fan, you look forward to those things and you just kind of try to keep conversational and see what comes out of it.
1: And I feel like the zoom just made everything a lot easier because over the phone you can only get so much but you can't read someone's facial expressions they don't they can't see you it just you know as much as you want to be in person obviously with the pandemic that made it difficult but it's great to just get a reaction in, in something more in that sense but uh yeah. and this is this is going to be uh my last question here but uh if you had a choice of uh, any former cub well we'll do this if you could interview any former Cub and a current Cub on the roster. So besides Ian Happ, I'll, we'll just rule him out. If you okay. can get, you know, a sit down with them. Who would that be?
3: Are they sitting next to each other and both having a conversation with me, or like, let's do, I, do that,
1: that? That they're having a conversation.
3: A little with more you. interesting for sure. Hmm. So Derek Lee on a chair that's uh, got a wobbly leg, maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know if I should make that joke because he, he wasn't he injured from that chair anyway. He, yes. Yeah, he uh, But I liked him. I mean, he was great. Um, former player. And then I, I guess a current player, like, yeah, like let's pick Rizzo, like let's just have two first basemen kind of talk about, mm-hmm. see if I can get them, you know, the, to talk about their special style of first base and really who was better and who had a better stance and who was better, you know, tagging out the guy who's trying to steal and, you know, mm-hmm. I like talking about positions, um, so yeah, I would just say that because I think I'd, I'd uh, like to hear the same uh, sorts, ask the same questions to these two players who played first base for the Cubs. Both very popular, both have their time, and, and kind of see what different things they say and see if they bond or you know whatever.
1: So I feel like Rizzo would be like you know you know is. As much respect to Derek Lee, he's like, well, I'm having to deal with everyone throwing 97 when well, you had one guy throwing 97. So it was a little bit harder for me. Maybe that would just be the one thing that Rizzo would say in the conversation over him, but yeah, was, definitely two Cubs first baseman icons for sure.
3: Yeah. Well, Rizzo definitely, I think he's, you know, he's super chill and very respectful of everybody. And it, like, you'll hear him on ESPN radio. say, you know, like we all have a bad day players aren't trying to play like the last about what happened to your pitcher level? What was going on with Kyle Hendricks last night? You know, he's not going to, he's not going to say, I don't, he's not, he's, He's uh, not hitting his stride right now. He's going to say, you know, we all have bad games. and We all, have, you know, we're, we're all trying our best. And I think uh, both of those guys have like a polite demeanor. That I think is, you know, they have a certain respect for the game, but just I've never met in person either one of them. But interviewing Rizzo last year and, you know, just watching Derek Lee, I think they're kind of cut from the same cloth. So that would be cool to kind of see them side by side.
0: So it's, it's become apparent to me, Andy, that you are very narrative-oriented. Uh, you you enjoy the story of the game. Uh, you enjoy the story of, of, of what's going on. So tell us a little bit about your story that you're writing right now uh, in Smashing Adversity. Uh, how far along are you in the process, and, and what is this book really about?
3: Yeah, so Smashing Adversity, is really the title um, kind of implies what it's about. I, as you know, I've interviewed a bunch of different athletes in a bunch of different sports, and uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of, especially now writing for Forbes, like I will, I will do, you know, I don't shoot for a long interview, but because they're conversational, usually you end up with more material than you use in the interview. You know, you got a pair it down, you got to edit it down, you get like seven great things and you can really only include like four questions in a, in a article that, you know, someone's going to spend, you know, 10 minutes reading at the most or eight minutes. So um, I started asking some of the athletes, you know, stuff like, so what was it like when, tell me about some of your difficulties. Again, it's not nosy stuff, not personal stuff. And it's more like, tell me what a a bad day for you know Anthony Rizzo is in, in training, just spring training or practice. Or you know, what's it like when you're not making contact with the ball? Like those type of questions. And I think it really, I've had this question spinning around in my mind for a while because different athletes in different sports have different struggles. Um, I got to interview for a second time uh, a triathlete uh paralympic triathlete named Melissa Stockwell um, about a week and a half ago. And she lost her left left leg in a rock and um, you know, returned home. And you know, she was always athletic, but decided that she wanted like she couldn't just sit around and you know be an active disabled person. Like she decided she wanted to start lifting weights and how she how she could start running with um I guess her artificial leg and biking and then you know, kind of came up with a regimen to get herself ready to start doing, uh, Ironman type races and triathlons. And, you know, now she's going to the Olympics for the second time in, in Tokyo. And, you know, you, when we're having a bad day on the golf course, we're, we're, you know, uh, shanking it and, you know, can't get our shot off. That's a lot different than doing something like what she's doing, you know, obviously. Um, so, I mean, there's some inspiring stories like that, but I think the first, probably the first time I really thought about this, when I got to meet Greg Norman and interview him in person, uh, I was primarily there to kind of talk about his golf golf course design business, because, you know, we all know that Greg Norman Apparel, we know that he was a great golfer when he was, uh, you know, active as a competitor, and but he has a l- whole different line of businesses. We We talked about that, but I think probably the first question after that I said, well, who did you like to play? and Who did you hate to play against? Which is kind of a stock question for me. Like, you know, if you're a batter, who do you hate to see on the mound? Well, usually it's someone like Kenley Jansen or, you know, maybe even one of the best starting pitchers with him. It was like, he he hated playing against one of his best friends, uh, Seve Ballesteros, because he was so unpredictable. So the flip side of that was like, so what is it, what does a bad day for Greg Norman, the golf course look like? And he said, that's a good question. And kind of thought for a second. And he said, you know, he described it and kind of talked about his mental game and when he's all frazzled from like not hitting it where he wants to like what he would do mentally and actually physically with the club to kind of get back to where he needed to be. So that kind of got my wheels turning. I thought, well, everybody's got some sort of story and they're all going to be unique and different. Uh, I'm not going to ask 40 players about their, you know, their their injuries and just write about that. I mean, it's gonna be, you know, what did Melissa Stockwell go through to to, to transform herself into a, a triathlete, you know, after losing a leg in a rock or, you know, uh Megan Rapino, you know, uh probably the most recognizable soccer player right now, whether you like her or not, whether you agree with her politically or not. I mean, she never set out to be, at least from what she tells me in the beginning, like she never set out to be like an icon or the golden boot winner in the 2019 world cup season. But, you know, she's done all that and she's someone who stands up for what she believes. And there's a lot of noise around her, but it's not going to stop her. And that, you know, there's a struggle that comes with that, but her struggle has primarily been, you know, I think with her, it's, she wants to make sure that the important issues are being discussed and taken seriously by the prevailing people in sports, not just players talking about their opinions or, you know, kneeling when they feel like they want to kneel for a, so yeah, especially adversity is just, um, I'm about, um, so I have a variety of like 20 different chapters and 20 different athletes. And I'm through a couple of them all the way and, you know, kind of rescheduling some second interviews with some athletes. So it's uh, not ready to go on the shelf, but it's in progress. And it's about, you know, different athletes that have something to tell us about, the difficulties they've that they've gone through and sort of how they end up great at the end of it because of their, their, smashing adversity.
0: Absolutely, that's that's awesome and it's so relatable. You know, adversity for for everybody. Obviously, yeah. uh, everybody's got their own struggle. Everybody's got their own story. And again, it seems like that narrative oriented storytelling that you do, it kind of follows you in that same way. Where you're going to be able to go ahead and tell these people, uh, you know, tell the stories of these, you know, people we know. Uh, from the limelight but we don't get to see what they're doing you know dealing with on a daily basis or what they've been able to come through um so that that's amazing and uh can't wait to read that one because that's gonna be something i'm gonna pick up for sure um but let's talk a little bit about some current event baseball then um we are in in the end of baseball podcast and we talk a lot about the uh, cubs and white Sox. Mm -hmm. Uh, i know you've uh, been able to to listen to a few episodes here Um, But we want to pick your brain on this because you're, you are a Cub fan and a person that is keeping up with uh, baseball on the North side a lot. Uh, I have some questions on the South side, but not nearly as many. Um, But the first thing I'm going to ask you about uh, seeing the Cubs playing the best baseball thus far uh, as recent as probably this month. uh, What are your thoughts about uh, what's kind of conspired here in 2021? And has this team exceeded your expectations coming into 2021?
3: Well, I think, you know, it's, I hope we're at the same place, you know, winning 10 of the last 15 or whatever it is, uh, you know, close to September, if not in September. Uh, I think the Cubs have been a team that, you know, I'm not a historian on them, but at least from the last five or so seasons, you know, they kind of come in waves where they, you know, they are playing 500 ball and then they kind of creep up and play more like 750 ball. I mean, I think they're just just hitting really well. Like, I'm not super impressed with – uh, the veracity of of the starting rotation, like I think uh, Hendricks, you know, he's he's good, but he's had some really terrible games. Um, Adzolay, I think, is you know is an interesting player to watch, but you know, it's not it's not. Uh, I, I I would guess as a baseball fan, you sort of want what the Cubs had in a rotation in two thousand, maybe in two thousand two, two thousand three, when you had you know some knockout guys like. Wooden prior at his best, and he had Matt Clement who is at least very consistent, unflappable, not, you know, not gonna throw no hitters very often, if at all, but reliable and consistent. Whereas this, I think, you know, the the Cubs are kind of winning in spite of maybe the shakiness of the rotation. And you know, I think the bullpen is is kind of on the same par. They're just getting it done with the plate, I think. They're just making contact with the ball and and you know, probably everybody but Javi is being a little bit more thoughtful about their swings. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that Javi Bias has it in him to be kind of contemplative about like, you know, what am I gonna no. do with the plate? He's just a, he's a firecracker and sometimes it, you know, the explosion goes in the right way and right direction, but sometimes it doesn't. So I think, you know, they're, they're maybe moderately, a slightly above 500 team is playing really well right now. And I hope that some of it is, you know, David Ross being a manager that they, they know and trust well and that that is more than the sum of its parts as our, as is the roster. I think that's probably where we're at. But, you know, St. Louis is tough every season. Like I didn't think that they would be in first place, you know, necessarily like guy you don't look at their their roster and say oh wow well, they're as good as the 27 Yankees or they're as good as the Dodgers were two years ago but they still end up at the top of the table the top of the standings and they're just tough to beat. they're just a tough organization and I don't know what the hell there is in the water that they're drinking in St. Louis I mean I guess it's you know we like to joke that uh their beer is the 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 wash off of the Chicago River that goes down to uh down to St. Down to St. Louis whatever it is but Maybe they're spiking the water with something different that's just make them, makes them uh, sort of unflappable. So that it's always a menacing thing to have the Cardinals in your division. And I don't think, and nothing against the Sox, I don't think that you really have. I mean, Cleveland's good, but I don't think that the Sox fans have the same sort of threat within their division. I think the Sox are outliers in the division, and they should definitely you know, be in the same place come September as they are right now.
0: Definitely definitely in 2021, the competition has definitely receded uh, as far as the Minnesota Twins, who have kind of been a team that's kind of like a lost kid. Uh, They really don't know where they're at, uh, looking for some guidance, and uh, Rocco Baldelli hasn't been able to uh, rally the troops, uh, per se, in Minnesota. But uh, you were talking a little bit about uh, David Ross as well Um, Mm -hmm. in that that conversation we were just having. um, You had the pleasure to interview him, is that correct? Yeah,
3: actually so uh, about yeah this was the I guess it was during during 2018. is before the 18 uh, men's world cup and uh kind of came because uh a, a contact of mine who you know he he has does press for a beverage account. His constellation beverages was kind of running a, a commercial thing where I don't I don't know who thought of this narrative, but uh they said, well, so the US isn't in it and uh you, some US fans are rooting for Mexico. And they have a curse. So they had, you know, let's bring a cub to talk about curses and sit them with uh, Landon Donovan, you know, who is a popular soccer player and have them sit at the bar and drink a beer and talk about curses. And they actually made it, they pulled it off. So literally, I get invited to kind of, it's me and and David Haw, who's the only other (laughs) journalist there. I don't know why why I'm there and he's there because, I mean, he's more reputable than I am. Like, people know who he is. And... Uh, so we're kind of watching the commercial being filmed and it was super chill. And, you know, the, they, I think they were like, if you want a Modelo, you can have one. Like, a, but it was, it was like 10 30 in the morning. So I just kind of waited and waited our turns to, to basically talk to them on the way out. And I talked to uh, both Landon Donovan and David Ross separately. And I had separate questions. I had soccer questions for, for uh, Landon Donovan, of course, World Cup questions and uh, different ones for, for David Ross. But of course, like David Ross, you know, he's you know, a hero, he's, he's, you know, grandpa Rossi. So, you mm-hmm. know, he's going to end up manager at any point, but uh, he's super down to earth. And I just had a conversation with him about like, you know, you brought a lot, I think I said to him, like, you know, people say you're not a good hitter, but you had a pretty, pretty good 2016. He's like, yeah, I'm not really a good hitter, but yeah, I actually had a pretty good 2016. It was like, you had some important home runs and some important base hits when you needed to. And that was big and, uh. You know, kind of tell me about stepping up. Like, did you feel a certain energy? Like, is there this thing in in with the Cubs that you know, being part of the team is, you know, uh, inspires you in a way? And he he had a lot of positive things to say about teammates. He he, he talked a lot about support and players like Zobrist and Rizzo and and uh, even some of the the the, the platoon players. that everybody's doing their part, and everybody's there for the same reason have the same goal. Uh, every day on their mind, and it wasn't like a hyper-competitive thing; it was more of a supportive thing. So just to hear that from David Ross firsthand, as I'm standing there, like he, you know, we're just in street clothes having a conversation, uh, was really cool. And because you you tend to think those positive things about your team, no matter who you support, and then when you hear them, and you kind of hear, uh, you know, a, a role player in your team like David Ross was, validate the good stuff about your team. That was that was good to hear. So. I don't know how may, if I'm spinning it at all, but that was just my experience. He was very transparent and, you know, humbled, and you know, he kind of talked about his role being a small one, but
0: maybe an important one in an important season. And he seems like a guy that, and, and again, uh, none of us have had the opportunity or the pleasure to uh, to meet the current manager of the Chicago Cubs. But you take a look at, um, you know, w- the roles he played on the teams that he played. Uh, in the ability to speak to the media and be pretty transparent. You would expect that from him, I, I, I would feel. Um, as, f- as far as uh, managing the Chicago Cubs, uh, I think that it was kind of a split, you know, right down the middle between Cub fans uh, when the hiring was was kind of brought to the forefront. I think that a lot of Cub fans uh, were excited to see a, an old face brought back. Um, mm-hmm. But initially, I think that there was a little bit of criticism because he was, you know, going to be able to coach uh, peers of his from only, you know, only removed four years from the team, five years from the team. Yeah. Um, what were your initial thoughts when you saw David Ross kind of get hired in that position? And did you think that there was going to be any issues from a media aspect and from a fan aspect, where were, where was your head at when they hired David Ross and, and how did you think he was going to be able to handle his players that were just teammates pretty recently? Yeah. You know, actually, I can't remember his
3: name now. I remember that I, I was thinking that the, the guy that they were announced was the manager was the, that bench coach from the Astros that was, uh, had his name in the running. So I was a little surprised when it came up and I I was like pleasantly surprised, but I kind of thought, well, is this sort of like, you know, uh, Joe Girardi, you know, kind of coming here. But I, I was thinking about the fact that I think the Cubs made the decision on the relationships and the personality. And, and, you know, obviously David Ross is very different than Joe Girardi is. I think, uh, I don't know Joe Girardi and I don't have not didn't sit with him when he managed the Yankees or even the Phillies now, but I think that there's a a different type of – one one of the manager's jobs, obviously, is to pump up players but also kind of keep it real. So, uh, whereas Girardi's kind of – comes off as sort of that, you know, kind of sort of tough guy, cocky sort of guy that probably worked really well with the Yankees. Like, you're playing with the Yankees. Here's your expectations. Are you good enough to be with us? Do you want to roll with us? It's kind of probably the mentality there. Whereas David Ross is like – he can have a conversation, honestly, with – KB or Rizzo or Hap or anybody if they're not hitting and they're rushing it at the plate or, you know, you would assume everybody's kind of hitting the weight room and getting their workouts done, but he can have an honest conversation because he played an elder statesman uh, at the end of his career. And, you know, he did hit, I mean, in my opinion, he did hit well enough to be taken really seriously as a, a threat in that lineup. He wasn't just there because initially he was there just to kind of keep uh, John Lester, you know, as cool as he could be on the mound, but he ended up being much more than that. So I think that he probably gained some equity in that. And you tend to think that the, the Cubs uh, in the front office recognized that and saw that when, they, when he was a scout. So I think that that's probably was what we were hoping for as Cubs fans. And I, I think that was probably his demeanor and his relationship's and also, he must be a pretty – he seems like a pretty straightforward, honest guy, that they probably valued that. They weren't looking for somebody to kind of stroke the starred players and just manage, uh, you know, write things down and keep track of stats. Like they wanted somebody to be an encouraging sort of father figure. Uh, or older brother figure is probably the best way to put it. So that's what I was thinking was their mindset when they named him. I think that – from what I could tell, that's probably where they're at. And I don't know how much – this, how much – uh Wait, uh if any that Ross has and sort of who's gonna be traded or let go at the end of the season. But uh you hope that hope the Cubs management will listen, you know, the, the upper management will listen to him and uh do what they need to, to keep him keep him managing for at least a couple of years, as long as it works out.
0: Yeah, it absolutely. We actually uh we we touched a lot on uh Cubs management and the choices that were gonna to have to be made uh probably by the trade deadline. It's kind of a sink or swim year. Um so mm-hmm. It's definitely something that's uh, weighed on our minds. Uh, but you talk, we, we were talking about a little bit of a, and I wouldn't say it was near as much controversy as what we had on the South Side coming into 2021 as far as managerial decisions. Uh, so I have to ask you about that as well. Uh, what were your initial thoughts uh, when you saw Tony La Russa get a job for the first time in a long time and his first time on the South Side in over 40 years? Well, I, I think I – mean, obviously, the
3: Sox, they're a different organization. And I think they've probably – I don't know if invest is the right word, but they got some of these more, you know, these elder statesman players like Abreu and some others that have been around, Uh, you know, Dallas Keuchel has been around the block. He's won a world series and, you know, he's, uh, I don't think they needed the same thing in a manager. I think they're looking for somebody who had um, longer depth of experience you know whether you think Larusa is good or not. If he's doing his job and he's kind of on the ball right now, is you know we can have that conversation. But I think they kind of wanted somebody like an old style manager who's got a very different approach to a set of players that then you know David Ross or you know, and probably any a lot of the a lot of the teams with younger managers. It w- it wasn't that kind of decision. So I think you know if you look at the Sox right now everybody's doing their part. I mean, they wouldn't be in first place where they are if it was just a, a good rotation, but their bullpen was terrible or they have one or two really good hitters. Yeah, I think the platoon players and, and different players have been around are really coming alive for the Sox, and that's why you're seeing it. So I think – I mean, I'm guessing here that La Russa has a sort of ma- a magic with you know, I mean, the, what you might think are the lesser players on a roster to kind of make them – make sure that they know that they have a role to play too. He's more of kind of like an old style coach, I would think. And you, you know, sometimes we wonder if LaRusse is is going senile and if he's going to be, you know, you know, lost in Bridgeport or you know he's going to accidentally drive to like uh, Tinley Park one day or something. I'm not saying he's senile, but I mean we have these we have these kind of like what the heck is he doing and what is he what's going on here type of personality uh, questions about him. But it seems like in the locker room, the clubhouse, like he's getting he's getting everybody stirred up to to be good ballplayers every, every day of the season. And I think it's just a different type of uh, choice that the Sox made. You know, they weren't really looking for the Joe Madden type. Maybe uh, they, they, they kind of weren't really looking for the name so much as somebody can kind of talk to these guys and get them, get them being where they need to be. You know, not a super motivator, just kind of like, I don't know that, that uncle, you know, that, kind of shepherds you to, to do what you need to do i th-
0: i think you you're hitting it on the head i think that's actually yeah, i don't know it. how to describe it it's just yeah i mean i think you know what i'm saying right i, th- I think it's a good way to, to look at it um i i think that the, when you got like a, a a young clubhouse especially as electric as uh as this clubhouse has been especially the last couple of years kind of mending together and finding a way to win especially with guys like jake lamb and billy hamilton in your lineup both guys kind of being removed from uh, the baseball world, or at least in the eyes of the baseball world for the last couple of years, yeah. having those guys start in your outfield and being able to win, you know, 10 games over 500. I mean, that's, that's definitely a, uh, I, I, you know, you got to tip your cap to Tony and what he's been able to do. But, you know, before the season started, I think a lot of people had. Uh, yeah. I didn't think that uh,
3: Yasmany Grendel would be, uh, you know, on a first place team. If you were to ask me about where he was going after his last stint with the Dodger, I thought he was kind of at his last stop in major league baseball and he would probably end up, um, you know, filling a role for some team that didn't have a good catcher, but, you know, it's kind of like you put people in the right place and you stoke them a little bit and they can perform better than you would think, uh, their
0: stats would suggest. Absolutely. We're hoping, we're hoping he wakes up a little bit, uh, had a slow start, uh, thus far in 2021, but a guy that, uh, is definitely being paid like a star. And I I think that the bat's going to turn around soon enough. Um, Mm-hmm. And the, the last thing I got to ask you is the thing that kind of plagued Twitter for a couple weeks here when we were out in Minneapolis, but uh, what are your thoughts on the 3-0 swinging debacle? Um, you know, it, it tainted an otherwise pretty nice series in Minneapolis. Uh, obviously, most people out there know the story. Your mean Mercedes comes up with a position player uh, of the likes of Williams Ostadio, a, a utility catcher, uh, obviously a, a larger human being on the mound throwing 47 mile an hour fastballs. And Mercedes drives the ball 400 feet over left center field wall. What were your thoughts?
3: Well, I mean, he's he's an exciting player, I think. Um, I don't know. Like, I I kind of relate it to this. There's a sort of unwritten or unspoken rule in college football that, you know, you don't run up the score. Um, It's funny because we hear that, but then Alabama does it whenever the hell they want to. And it's (laughs) sort of like if you're kicking someone's ass – and you know it, don't kick their ass a little bit more. And I, I think with baseball, I mean, the whole point is to get on base and to try to get a hit and contribute. And you, you know, it, it's different than football where like I'm going to throw a long bomb and try to get a touchdown. Like they're just trying to make contact with the plate and you can have the best intentions in the world. And you don't know if that swing you make is going to ground out or fly over the fences. So I think that it was kind of blow, you know, it was just blown up. I I, I can't imagine that mm-hmm. why. I mean, yeah, the context of it seemed a little overkill. But it's like the players are just trying to do their their, their best job. It's not about showing off. It's not. Um, you know, he didn't do a, a cartwheel and a, a triple bat flip and. <laughs> yeah, if he does a bat I, flip. I think, then it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just trying to you know, just trying to get hits for his team, and I don't know. I don't know what the the big the big deal of it was but you know obviously it animated a couple of people so including the manager and
0: yeah radio it, 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 people,
3: obviously and their their f-bombs about it you know
0: for sure and it animated the the twins clubhouse which i you know i was baffled about you know you see a, a guy that has no business i mean the effort level i mean was just it was pretty poor you see williams ostadio going out there and throwing 47 miles an hour which i think any big leaguer will tell you they probably can get it up to 60, 70 miles an hour off the mound from 60 foot six. And, yep. you know, we're we're living in a world where we're talking about moving back the mound. And, you know, obviously we're not uh, facing Clayton Kershaw when, you, when you're out in Minnesota up by 16, but yep. you're talking about a world in which the game of hitting is becoming a lot harder. So yep. I didn't think that was an issue seeing him swing on three. No.
3: And I don't think that Sox fans, uh, you know, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't get the sense that people were rubbing it in the Twins' face. Like it, you know, it's, it's a long season, which is kind of a, a unique moment to see how it ended. You know, how that, that hit went off. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, we're kind of like you're saying. We're in a conversation where you know, what do we do to attract baseball fans, and how do we keep them excited? And I think about you know, as I mentioned, my son is 15 almost, and. You know, he's, he loves the, the Cubs and says he hates the Sox, but I, I have a hard time getting him to sit down for three hours and watch a game with me, you know, without a, without a phone or a game console in his hand. It's just a different thing. So if we're complaining about, you know, hits that, that intended or not go over the the outer wall or, you know, make a pitcher look bad, I mean, I think that we need to kind of uh,
0: kind of chill out about it and say that sometimes unique things happen, and that's the way it is. That's That's well said. And anytime you can get some, uh, some social media action for the Yerminator, I'm there for it, but yeah. Well, Andy, we, we want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show. Oh, it's so been great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Talk baseball here uh, with the crew. Uh, where can people follow you and hear about your future sports endeavors?
3: So I'm uh, at sporty fry on Twitter. And also if you feel like following me on Instagram, uh, I post some sports stuff up there, but you know, I'm on Twitter, like anybody else and on Spotify and Apple uh, podcasts, I have a podcast. It's just called Andy Fry Sports Podcast. And 99% of it is uh, some of the interviews I've done with some of these great athletes and, you know, kind of me asking open-ended questions and letting them talk and, you know, show who they are.
0: Awesome, Andy. Well, thank you very much. And we look forward to your future work and we hope we have you on the show very soon. It was an honor to get to have you on here tonight. Go Cubs.
2: <laughs> Cubs. That's right.
0: And uh, we hope to have you again here in the future. Yeah, definitely. So, I, I mean, boys, uh, you don't get many more interesting people on a podcast than Andy Fry. And what he was able to kind of bring to the table and, and talk to us about. Of course, uh, for all of you out there wondering... Uh, you know, that was, that was a lot of uh, non-baseball conversations. Andy's a guy with a lot of interests and a lot of passion in a lot of different spots. So we got to talk a lot about just sports in general, which I think a lot of you out there will still appreciate. But uh, being able to talk to a guy that sat down with guys like uh, Scotty Pippen, Anthony Davis, Johnny Bench, Cal Ripken Jr., you know you're getting a guy who really understands all the games, especially baseball. And being a Cub fan from Philly, I mean, that must have resonated with you guys for sure.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, what a class act! Such a great guy. I, I honestly can't wait to get to the bar with him, and take him up on that beer, and watch, take in a game. I mean, that that would be awesome. Uh, shit, if he wants to watch a NASCAR race, that would be even cooler. You know, talk NASCAR with that guy. That would that that was really really cool. I'd uh, love to pick his brain a little bit more about that, but I mean, can't say more about him. He' great, great guy, so intelligent. And just, yeah, just, you know, just so much uh, knowledge on so many things across the sports world and to be able to write a book with people of like Greg Norman and uh, uh, Megan Rapinoe, I mean, that's just, that's awesome in itself. And I mean, I don't know about you, Dan, but I, what a great guy he is.
1: Yeah. He came across his, uh, very intelligent, very great guy, and fun to talk to. And it's always anyone that's been talking to that many people. You know that he's good at what he does. You don't build a reputation in the industry just by being an asshole or just not being good at uh, your job. The thing that resonated with I think me the most was how he said that uh, he was a Phillies fan until they broke his heart, and then he just couldn't watch baseball. And then when he moved to Chicago, okay, um, I feel like if, as <laughs> wild. Wow. I feel like as Cubs fans, there's probably a lot of people that over before 2016 happened. That over those 108 years, are just like, I just can't do this anymore. I just physically can't. And same with Sox fans before 2005. There's just a lot of it. It's just like, I can't do this. They did. They just break my heart. They never do anything right. And then obviously when, and I feel maybe that's why like 2005 is so loyal to every. Sox fan in 2016 will be remembered by every cousin That's why the 85 Bears are so remembered because in Chicago we do have a lot of fuck ups in sports. And when you really think about it, outside of the 85 Bears, and this, you know, we're getting a little off baseball here, but then you know, the Blackhawks dynasty and then the Cubs making their run, the White Sox making their run, and the Bulls in the 90s. Not a lot of championships around Chicago. So, but uh When he said that he had to leave baseball, I was like, you know, after some years, I think we all have had a moment where it's just like, is this worth it? Do I want to watch this sport anymore? Do I want to put my blood, sweat, and tears watching a game in mid-June as they're 10 games under 500? You know, but all around, it was a great interview and just cool to hear all the stories that he had.
0: Absolutely. He he definitely, all his words uh, carried a lot of weight, which that's always important. So, yeah it was a it was a doozy of an interview we really got into a lot of topics it was a lot of fun uh and if you guys enjoyed it let us know we want to thank you guys again for listening to the show you can follow us at 35th of wavelength on twitter and instagram have yourself a wonderful baseball week and as always get up get after it and i'll see you next week